Broadcasting live from Blade Runner Hong Kong, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Garrett Strother. I'm one of your other hosts, Seamus Connolly. Rar, it's it's me, it's Ricardo. I know it's not like humanly possible, but I do want to hear your Godzilla screech. I don't think human vocal cords can make that noise. <laughs> they, they don't have Andy Serkis and mocap doing the vo- vocals for that giant monster <laughs> behind the scenes. Honestly, where is Andy Serkis? He disappeared when we needed him most, which is the MonsterVerse. So, oh my God, that is so true. He could have been Kong. He's got experience he's been doing Kong. that. He's been yeah, he's yeah. done it already. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh wow. We're already we're already getting into the MonsterVerse, man. We gotta we gotta hit the news first, boys. Well, first up, we've got some some sad news. Beloved children's author Beverly Cleary probably best known for her work with the character of Ramona, most beloved by me for her work on Mouse of the Motorcycle, uh, passed away at 104 years old. Wow. God. 104. Truly, that is so impressive. And considering she wrote, like, 50 books, like, she is so accomplished and, like, part of so many generations of childhood reading. It's sad to see her go, but wow, does she leave a legacy behind. I'm, I'm also a fan of the Mouse of the Motorcycle, but fond memories of, like, third grade English class, everybody just listening to our teacher read a Ramona book out loud, and just, ah, oh, loved it. The best. She really was the first in a lot of ways, not, I don't want to say it like a cinematic universe, but I always loved that all of her characters were so interconnected. That was yeah, one of my favorite things. Definitely in my little kid head, that was that was giving me a ping of that, you know, connected universe chemical, whatever that is, that you're just like, oh, I get that, the crossover, I understand the reference. It was, it was great. Very, very good stuff. Time to bring it to the big screen. Yeah, I, you, you Mouse think in the motorcycle, it? the movie. Well, I have always wanted, I was literally about to say, Ricardo, I've always wanted to see, maybe in the style of like a Wes Anderson a mouse in the motorcycle movie where the mice are stop motion and the humans are live action. That sounds great. I would I would be totally in for that. That's that's ripe for a good, you know, live action adaptation or whatever hybrid adaptation, whatever you want to call it. I hope they uh they do something special like that, you know, honor the legacy cuz you know, those books are never going to go out of fashion. Those are going to be in elementary school libraries till the end of time and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting way to see them continue that stuff. But on to movie news, uh, director Adam Wingard, whose newest film, Godzilla vs. Kong, is our main segment this week, has some updates on upcoming projects, including that he's to direct a Thundercats movie, and confirmation that his new face-off film is a sequel to the original. So, fingers crossed, we, we're getting some Nick Cage slash John Travolta action in this one. <laughs> You know, I don't know too much about Thundercats, but the face-off sequel news is definitely what I wanted versus, like, a reboot. You know, he's going to have to up the ante. They're going to get Nick Cage and John Travolta, but there's going to be a third face. Mark my words, there's going to be a third face in the mix. Think of, like, the craziest person in current Hollywood to throw in there, and it's it's just going to get insane. Kevin Hart. Oh! <laughs> I don't know if they can swing that, man, if I'm being I- honest. <laughs> Are they going to go Expendables route and get, like, a third guy who's age-appropriate, like a Kurt Russell or somebody? Or are they going to go, like, the young, hot, like, get a Chris Evans? Ooh, I almost would love to see Chris Evans as Nick Cage as John Travolta. So, I mean, 
if they're going that way, I would not be disappointed. Well, speaking of Chris Evans, Netflix has bought out the Knives Out sequels. They've spent $450 million to develop Knives Out 2 and 3, starring Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, and of course, Ryan Johnson coming back to write and direct. The second one is going to start shooting at the end of June. So, it's coming down the pipeline, boys. I'm loving this. It's exciting. Yeah, totally. It feels like just yesterday we went out to the to the theaters to see that one, and... You know, Netflix is really, they're trying hard to drop some heavy hitters out there now, so, I mean, I like Ryan Johnson, I love Benoit Blanc as a character, this is this is a win, I feel like, for everybody. And speaking of Netflix wins, they are also going to have the Princess Diana musical premiere on their service ahead of the Broadway opening which I think is really exciting considering the fact that we have all three talked on this show about how much we want theater to be streaming and accessible and that it's not going to impact ticket sales because people will always want to go see live theater, especially after the year we've had. And you're doing nothing but losing money by not, you know, putting it out there for people to consume. Yeah, especially with it being so expensive. I don't really know much about this musical, and I'm sure it's going to be very interesting to see. Did you guys get around to watching the Disney Plus Hamilton? I feel like that's oh, the big course, one. Yeah. That I, I still haven't because I'm an absolute fool. I'm a big fan of Lin-Manuel Miranda, but I just, I don't know. I feel like there might be something lost with it not being actually live, but I guess you guys would know better than me if it if it really stands out, so... I think we'll probably, if we don't do an episode about it, a full episode before In the Heights, we'll at least talk about it during In the Heights. So maybe you can prep by then, Seamus, and we'll like circle yes, back to this that, topic. That'll be a great opportunity for me to finally get I my act together. I expect bars, Seamus, on that episode. Next up, WB's canceling some upcoming DC films. I'm shocked. I'm not shocked, if you guys didn't know. <laughs> Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's The Trench are not coming. Especially The Trench is not surprising to me because it wasn't Aquaman 2. It was like a spinoff of Aquaman. Yeah, that was really weird. I don't know why they did that. I think these were really geared towards the idea of building out the cinematic universe they were trying to have, which they've since abandoned. So, yeah. Did you guys read the reason why they canceled New Gods? No, I did not. Yeah, me neither. Apparently, it's because Darkseid was in the Snyder Cut. What? Like, he was but, he was supposed to be the main villain of this New Gods movie, and then because he was in the Snyder Cut, I guess they wanted space in between appearances for some reason, even though none of these are connected and it doesn't matter. That <laughs> oh my sounds God. like a excuse to me. I, d- I doubt that that's the full yeah. reason. It's all Zack Snyder's fault. No. <laughs> but th- I'm kind of disappointed, just because the concept alone sounds real uh, weird and like an Ava DuVernay New Gods movie. New Gods in general as a movie, I don't know how well that would have played, but I would have liked to have seen it. In other news, the Kenobi cast has been revealed. It's been confirmed that production is going to start this month in April. And let me let me rattle off the names here for you folks. Ewan McGregor, we knew, was coming back to be Obi-Wan Kenobi, of I course. I didn't know that. Ewan McGregor's in this? <laughs> They confirmed on Disney Investor Day that Hayden Christensen would be returning in some capacity to play Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. That's It remains to be seen how that will work. Really prominently listed, even though I don't know her and we don't know what role she's playing, is a actor named Moses Ingram. After that, they shared Joel Edgerton and Bonnie P- P.S.C. Peace. 
I'm not sure, and I looked up how to pronounce her name, and I could not find it. Uh, but, of course, they are returning as the Lars family, Owen and Baru. We've got Kumail Nanjiani, which is, you know, of course, a treat. As always, I hope they don't stuff him into a droid or something. I hope they just let him be... Oh, jeez, yeah. Jacked? Oh, yeah, he's jacked uh, now. Oh, my God. Last yeah, thing I exactly. saw him in was the big sick, and he was his old lanky self, so... <laughs> Indira Varma, who is probably best known for her appearances on Game of Thrones, Rupert Friend, O'Shea Jackson Jr., Sung Kang from the Fast and the Furious movies, Simone Kessel, who is an actor I've never heard of, and Benny Safdie, who rose to stardom as the co-director with his brother of Uncut Gems and Good Time. Yeah, man, Benny Safty on that list. When when I saw this uh, the other day, that that was the name that stood out to me the most because I really slept on Good Time and Uncut Gems for a long time. But those Safty brothers, man, they can really add a lot to a story, and especially uh, Benny is just one of the most compelling and strange actors I've ever seen. So I'm hoping they really, you know, do him up cool with some like alien prosthetics and you know, give him a give him a fun role to play. Simone Kessel run. Oh, yeah, th- there's it. a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> I had that too, Ricardo. Kumail, of course, gonna add a lot of light moments, I'm sure. And you but know, he, I mean, he dude can act though oh, too. Absolutely, That's the thing, like, that... he he doesn't have to be there. But I'm sure they're gonna use him to his full potential. And like, you know, they'll give him a cool blaster, have him be, you know, a good backup friend guy, or he'd be like a cool Moss Eisley rogue. You know, mm. or hear me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An imperial officer, give him like a Ooh. a stuffy role. That could be fun to play with. I... But then he takes his shirt off and he's jacked <laughs> yeah. and he fist fights Obi Wan. Up next, uh, we got more casting news coming from the Powerpuff Girls live action series. Donald Faison is Professor Utonian, which I think is just fantastic casting. I mean, this makes me want to watch this uh, this live-action one more than anything else we've heard so far. But And then there's Nicholas Podany, Nicholas Podany, will be playing Mojo Jojo's son, and he's an actor with which I am not familiar. Uh, me neither, um, but it's also just kind of news to me that they're going, like, legacy stuff with Mojo Jojo. I was kind of hoping for, like... <laughs> old logan-esque like scarred jojo coming out of the darkness to like take revenge well they might we and, might get that yeah. yeah he didn't say he's dead oh yeah i guess that's i guess i assumed mojo jojo's son would be more of like a legacy revenge thing like you you killed my misunderstood father and now i'm gonna bear well, they, they did drop a character thing with this one. Oh yeah uh, for Mojo Jojo's son, apparently he was like a big Powerpuff fan back in the day, even though his dad is Mojo Jojo. And now that he's an adult, his whole character thing is apparently lots of held in anger and sweetness constantly in battle inside of him. Oh. So he's War and Peace. War and Peace? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, man. It's never confirmed if they're still monkeys, and I don't trust CW to get that oh, right. Oh, so. dude, if they bungle that, I will be very sad. It looks really promising, yeah, so I'm, ex- I'm excited to see and hope the JoJo's are still monkeys. Moving on to LEGO Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. This game's been delayed like five times. And it was oh, I didn't even to- know that. Yeah, it- oh, it was supposed to come out like over a year ago, and now it was supposed to come out 
in spring 2021. It has been delayed indefinitely, as has me spending $70 on the deluxe edition. So, I mean, I don't really care how long this game's delayed, as long as it works when I get it. Like That's what I'm saying, I man. Mean, I, I feel a little yeah. scared if it's going to get, like, the uh, cyberpunk treatment, where they're just trying to do so <laughs> much and, like, make good on so many promises about how like massive this game is going to be and then it's just going to get released with so many bugs that it won't be playable until a year later i'm all for like the the delaying of games if that's the time they use to like improve it and stuff but on the other hand it's a lego game (laughs) it's all of the movies though what what are you you doing like it's supposed to be super ambitious ricardo it's like it's like every movie every character all I think there's like 12 planets that you can explore, like 500 characters that you can play as. I couldn't imagine getting Jesus. all the true Jedi and mini kits in a game like that. That's going to be daunting. I'm so excited, <laughs> dude. They don't have uh, Rogue One and Solo, I assume, since it's the Skywalker saga, right? Well, there's character packs that are oh. going to come with the Deluxe Edition for Rogue One, Solo, The Mandalorian Season 1, The Mandalorian Season 2... Um, the Bad Batch, interestingly enough, mm. and a couple other ones that I can't remember off the top of my head, but I kind of wonder if down the line, if they release this massive game and it does well enough and they have those character packs, they might do some DLC where you could get, you know, a solo level or a Rogue One level. And actually, if you get Lego sets in real life, there's a few specific Lego sets that you could redeem codes for that you get that set in the game. Oh yeah, you I remember you mentioning that and I think that's the coolest that's the coolest cross promotion ever. You telling me I can digitize my Legos? I'm talking like you go buy that Razor Crest, Ricardo, at the Lego store, and you open it up and you put it the code in the Lego Star Wars the Skywalker saga and you could be Anakin Skywalker, young, you're like this is pod racing baby. <laughs> <laughs> Decimating Sebulba. That's a really yeah, good idea. Right? I totally. I, and you know, if that is a success, maybe that drives their sales. Maybe they do another uh, Lego Indiana Jones revival. Maybe. Oh, dude, I'm hope I, I would big fingers crossed on that one. Totally. Yeah. Like, we talked about it before. There's talks of a new Indiana Jones game. Who's to say it's not the ultimate Lego Indiana Jones? <laughs> it's just a Lego <laughs> game. Bethesda's developing a Lego Indiana it Jones game. Surprise! Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Last up, San Diego Comic Con is, for some insane reason, going in-person Thanksgiving weekend, which is just a terrible idea on so many levels. What part of that sounded like a good idea? There's no way in my mind. I get maybe opening in November, because hopefully we'll get, like, vaccinations more out there by then. Who knows what'll happen by uh, November. But Thanksgiving weekend? Really? Yeah. Okay, you could be with your families... Or you could come to Hall H and see what Marvel's cooking this year, boys. Oh, Ah. my God. Here's my theory with this, because they just announced like a month ago that they were going to be doing it virtually, right? So I really kind of think that Disney came to them, or I mean, it could be any company, but I mean, Disney's the most likely scenario, I think. And they were like, we're just moving our slate around and... We're delaying everything, you know, Black Widow isn't coming out for months now, and and Shang-Chi won't even know when that's happening, so what if you did Comic-Con in November, and we drop, like, all our big stuff at Comic-Con explicitly, because we're not going to be ready for a July virtual Comic-Con. 
there's a world where this is like the first like successful big event that like we're really turning back to normal stuff again but yeah you know, there's also a huge What keeps it from a, being that is the Thanksgiving bit, because like, biz, one of the busiest times of the year. doubling down, man. They're going hard. Let's move on to our main segment. Let them fight. Let them fight. Wrong movie. They do fight. I very much enjoyed this film. I, I had a great time. Yeah, I think if you're only going into this looking for monster action, it totally delivers on big monkey punch stuff. Like, that... (laughs) What more do you want? It's called Godzilla vs. Kong. I'm really glad that they took a page from the Kong Skull Island action style and not the godzilla king of the monsters action style so i can actually tell you know what's going on and who is where and why yeah definitely that being said i did feel like this um this third act was where i lost this movie a little bit we'll talk about that more in spoilers because a lot of the action felt samey at the end and the plot twists kind of came out of nowhere or were too obvious like one of the two and i feel like this movie despite like delivering really solid action could have been even better with another script pass. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. I feel like my expectations for this movie going in were not, you know, sky high. I, lo- I really liked Skull Island, and I really like uh, the second Godzilla, the King of the Monsters. And I guess I really wasn't looking for much from Millie Bobby Brown to begin with. And like the, <laughs> I'll be honest, I didn't know she was going to be in yeah, this. Yeah, me neither, actually. I... I... My expectations were definitely exceeded, if not just because I was expecting monster action, and I got more of that than I... Better quality monster action, I guess I should say, than I was I was really expecting. This movie might have some of the dumbest nonsense I've ever seen, <laughs> but I can't say I didn't enjoy myself. I had a ton of fun. I was in the fight, <laughs> man. I was like, oh, oh, what's gonna happen? See, that's yeah, my, and I was cheering. That's my big issue with this movie is I felt like there was literally no tension. I really wish that they'd worked on the script just a little bit more to, and again, I'm going to get into in spoilers how I probably would have fixed it. Mm. I definitely don't want to bog it down with too much. Like King of the Monsters had that it's two and a half hour runtime with way too much people and everything. Like, I don't want yeah. that. Something similar to like how Kong Skull Island is really good at integrating the human characters into the action more. And also the fact that they're archetypes so that they give them like nice little arcs that you can actually follow, but that you don't have to spend a ton of time in being invested in. Yeah, really, the only real new character that I thought, you know, maybe had a little more to it that they didn't even follow through on too much was the podcast guy. Brian Tyree Henry. Well, I really yeah. liked him Love, a lot and his whole shtick in this movie. And, you know, I'm already venturing into more plot specific stuff, but. Yeah, like the main like villains, quote unquote, that weren't uh, big old kaiju's were just like, oh yeah, that guy's gonna stick around for like twenty minutes. That's the thing. There's literally no interpersonal conflict in this movie. And again, I don't want King of the Monsters. I don't want crazy Vera Farmiga trying to destroy the <laughs> yeah. world and all this. Like, I don't need that. But I do. They clearly set stuff up at the beginning that they don't really pay off in any meaningful way at all. And I, I think that's really highlighted the fact that. By the fact that Millie Bobby Brown's character does not feel consistent with her character from the last movie in any capacity. They just put her Did in there she because she's Millie Bobby Brown. In the last movie? Wait, what did you say, Ricardo? 
hey, did... listen, I'm not going to say it was good, but they did put in the work in King of the Monsters to give her a backstory and a personality. And in this movie, it's gone. It is completely inconsistent. They have her dead brother, they have her situation with her mom, and her conflicted feelings with her father that are resolved at the end of the last movie. And then they don't do any work to maintain that continuity. I don't want to hear, like, does it matter? He doesn't have a character in the last movie. She does. It's a bad character that they could have actually gone and made better. But I really don't want to hear screenwriting cheapened to that point. Because really, she does. And I mean... And I want to talk about a movie like that. And definitely, I think that, you know, I kind of... I really didn't care much about ah should we just should we get into a little bit about what is this about so i could tell my feelings about millie bobby brown's yeah i think so i think we should because i think we'll be more adequately able to discuss like how that could have been fixed and how those characters could have been more compelling if we just mark spoilers so yeah overall if you want to watch monsters punch each other and probably be on your phone for a little bit this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And to the to the point of the parts where you might be scrolling on your phone a little bit, we you know, we get our little Stranger Things sequence with Millie Bobby Brown and the kid from Deadpool 2, who I like, but again, is just kind of like there for the comic relief with the other podcast guy who's there also for comic relief. You know, they could have, and you know, they put in uh, Friday Night Lights coach in there for like two minutes of total screen time. Literally yeah. like two minutes. Like I don't even understand. <laughs> that's that's my big problem with this movie. Is why have a thousand characters if you're not going to do anything with any of it them? It probably could like, be you know like twenty minutes shorter. So yeah, let's let's talk spoilers because I mean, and we'll get into some of the other stuff. But while we're on Millie Bobby Brown and Brian Tyree Henry, the thing that really bothered me about the way that that storyline was written is because it could have been engaging. If I felt like any of them had more emotional stakes in it, but again, there was no interpersonal conflict going on between any of the characters, and even the stuff that they set up with Brian Tyree Henry's yeah, dead I was wife say. and his whole conspiracy business—like they could have had more of a reason that he was going into conspiracies. Like, did Godzilla kill his wife? Did Apex kill his wife? Like, what's going on there? Nothing with that. They could have had a nice moment. Where Millie Bobby Brown was like, I lost people too, and it's about, like, make doing right by them, and, like, I'm glad that you're, you know, anything. Like, literally just, like, one scene of any kind of character work between the two of them, and stuff that was already established in the last movie with Millie Bobby Brown, that they've then just shirked off because it's like, oh, she's like a rebellious kaiju girl. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Really, for for a minute there, when they're, when they're talking to Mr. Evil Apex Man... This is getting a little bit ahead of myself. I really thought she was going to get in the pilot seat, if you know what I mean. Just, like, really... Yeah, right! I was ready for it, too. Like, trying to... But then, you know, that would have just been more like Stranger Things. Millie Bobby Brown's got, like, extra abilities because she's doing stuff, but... But even, like, you know, we've got this new girl, the Iwi girl, Gia, who has this connection with Kong, and that's one of the best parts of the movie. And we'll get into that more in a minute. But I thought maybe that they were going to do some kind of foil system where... Millie Bobby Brown was going to develop some kind of relationship with Godzilla because we know that she already does have the sympathy for Godzilla from the last movie. Oh, yeah. Like, again, we don't bring over any of that. And so it's just like Millie Bobby Brown has nothing to do. Whereas if they rooted that character's storyline in her character established in the last movie, much more compelling and exciting things could have happened as opposed to just like, Oh yeah, we're ba- we're back in the, in the secret base with with the characters I don't care about. Yeah, man, there's that whole like emotional moment too where she's like back with her dad who like 
we didn't know or care that the dad was like worried that much, you know, <laughs> like looking for her at all. And But I want to really talk about just the, I guess the stuff that I liked about this more than the stuff I disliked. Cause oh yeah, I, for sure. I, I definitely took away a lot more positives because of my expectations of big monster fighting. And I really got a lot of what I wanted. And we get like three solid rounds between these, these boys and... You know, like you said, Gare, before, they, they do it in the way where you can see what's going on, you understand what's happening, they do a great starting fight on the ocean, which I thought was was a lot of fun in the water. My money this whole time was on <laughs> Godzilla, and I know we had the whole theory of, like, it's they're just going to Batman v Superman it, and it's not really going to be a, a to-the-death match, and there's some kind of satisfaction. I loved that Godzilla was like the weird heel. I loved him just beating the crap out of uh, Kong on the ocean. And the the disregard for human life in these movies, just like it keeps getting cranked up every movie we watch, I feel like. And I, I'm loving that too, where, yeah, they really show the magnitude of the destruction, but we don't mind too much. We're here for the destruction. And they, I, I, I really liked it. Yeah, the third act for me is where that lost me a little bit, where I was like, they just keep toppling skyscraper after skyscraper <laughs> and it felt it felt like the end of man of steel to me where i'm just like okay i get it yeah, like a little bit like, it's enough i want to touch back on the the ocean fight for a minute because i thought that was probably my favorite part of this whole movie well that is one of the two favorite parts of this whole movie for me i especially like there are a lot of really interesting visual references in this movie like they've got godzilla attached to the anchor of the wreckage of one of the battleships oh, like yeah. Jaws, so you can track him through the water. And when he atomic breaths the aircraft carrier, Kong jumps off it like John <laughs> yeah, the slow-mo <laughs> jump. Oh, man. And then the last one I want to talk about is like a two-part visual reference, which we kind of referenced ourselves in the broadcasting live. The fact that the Apex Corporation has this weird Terrell pyramid over... Hong Kong for some yeah, reason. Got, how else are you supposed to know and that's the evil layer, man? That's like as obvious as it gets. <laughs> when Mechagodzilla comes, which we haven't really touched on Mechagodzilla too much. One of um, us called that, by the way, I'm pretty sure. When Mechagodzilla breaks out of the pyramid, it frames it with the crescent moon right over the pyramid, which is like one Brian Tyree Henry's talking about the Illuminati all the time. So there's kind of oh, that yeah. joke. But then also, it looks exactly like one of the first shots of the monolith from 2001. And obviously, the the big symbolism with that movie is twofold. One, that it's like humanity's technology uh, overstepping its bounds and becoming sentient and being this next step in evolution that we don't understand. But also, uh, a, a, very, a very important tenet of 2001 is monkey punch stuff. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, themes. Theme symbolism. Man, I, uh, <laughs> what did you got? I, I was real pumped when we get to the hollow earth and we, we kind of get to see like the temple of Kong, whatever you want to call it. He gets that sick, like vertebrae spine axe that he charges up Kong. Yeah, I was all about yeah. that. Definitely, Ricardo, I know that was like a rubbing your hands together moment of like, oh, here we go, man. Here it is. Yeah, I really like that it was one of Godzilla's little back plates. I think that was really cool, the whole stuff with the axe. And even as dumb as it was, Godzilla 
breathing down to the center of the earth. Everything having to do with Hollow Earth <laughs> is really stupid, but I liked yeah, it. It was totally. fun. I love it. It's more that Jules Verne stuff we got from the the only part I liked of King of the Monsters was the Jules <laughs> Verne stuff. So having more of that, I am all about it. And their stupid little like flying Y wings, yeah. like what <laughs> the the little pod things that I just kind of go along with. Yeah, gravity switches real fast. Sure. This movie's just a, it's going to be a Universal ride. That's what it oh. is. I, I literally said coming soon to Universal Studios while we were watching <laughs> that sequence. I'd, I'd ride that ride. I guess I would have liked to see more uh, Hollow Earth kaiju monsters, maybe. They, they kind of almost have a reference to like a young Godzilla type. There's like a big lizard guy that like resembles a giant iguana. I, I don't know if that's yeah, like actually anything or if that's just like another big old monster, but... I wish... They had capitalized more on Kong's, like, Kong has an arc in this movie of sorts, which is, at the beginning, you know, he's lost his home, Skull Island, they say in one line of dialogue, has been swallowed by the perennial storm that surrounds it, so the island's uninhabitable now, so they've built a shelter for Kong, and then when he finally gets to Hollow Earth, he's, like, home, and that's him, and when he's fighting Godzilla, it's him, like, fighting for his home, and, like, the fact that he gets to return at the end in the, like, most abrupt ending to a oh movie my God, I've yeah. ever seen. I really wish that I had been more invested in that arc, because I do care about Kong so much as a character. He is such a compelling non-human character, especially in this movie that he can actually talk a little bit through sign language. And so I had really been wishing that instead of, like, the weird dome opening we get, that we'd seen him have to... Because they talk about him saving the little Iwi girl and that the rest of the Iwi are dead. Why didn't we just get to see that sequence, like, of the storm coming in and swallowing the island, and and maybe Rodan, like, brought it with, or something, and Kong has to save the little girl before they get completely Damn, swallowed. Yeah, been... You know, something to make me see the impact on him of losing Skull Island like that. Yeah, damn. I mean, hey, maybe they're leaving room for a for a prequel or something in between Skull Island and Godzilla vs. Kong, because I, you know, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but it didn't really seem like they were setting up for much more in this franchise. I thought we were going to get a little more of a stinger. That's part of the things that's really weird to me, yeah, is that the th- there's no falling action where they would set anything up, and part of the reason there's no falling action is because none of the characters had interpersonal conflict that needed to be resolved at the end of the story. Yeah, but, you so. know, besides, like, Kong and Godzilla giving each other, like, a nod and a look of, like, okay, alright, I see you. My mom was like, I hope that they, they grab hands like Tango <laughs> and say, Yeah, Cash, like the predator handshake, just clenching frame. so hard. If I'm being honest, I thought they weren't going to bring back the King Ghidorah head quite yet. I thought that was going to be the next yeah, one, would... or that was going to be the big reveal of like, oh, we got to team up against this guy, you know? I guess they kind of did, but... Yeah, I was confused about that for a lot of the movie. And also, they couldn't have gotten Charles Dance back <laughs> in this movie. I, like, I, I don't need another character, but I was like... Why not have even a little bit of continuity between... Again, like, it just feels like every movie's just a new movie. It, they don't build on the stuff established in the previous movies. They didn't bring Miles Dyson back yeah. for this movie, even though he's one of the only characters brought over between Kong and Godzilla. Yeah, damn. They couldn't They couldn't age up Tom Hiddleston. Man, maybe they couldn't afford Tom Hiddleston. He's doing Loki stuff. My friend Alex had this great idea, which I really liked. Which is, why wasn't Alexander Skarsgård's character a 
old Tom Hiddleston that they have to bring back because the whole thing is they have to track Kong to the center of the Earth. So why don't they hire Tom Hiddleston, who's a tracker who has experience oh, with man, Kong? Oh man, that would have been that would have been great. That would have been like you know they could have done the whole the same thing where it's like oh yeah he's a disgraced former researcher they like tried to bury his stuff he could still be kind of disenfranchised and they could scoop him up These i'm movies, sad we didn't have a 150 I mean, year get... old john c Riley here to like be like i know that <laughs> large ape. he's the one doing sign language a thing that i pitched is why didn't they have john c Riley's son who is played by the guy it's the same guy who plays john c Riley's son that plays john c Riley at the beginning of skull island so why not age him up just make him John C. Riley again. Have him be like, my father's journal. It says we have to do this to Damn. help Kong. Yeah, that would have been that would have been good. We, we just want more of that character. I think <laughs> we we all love that guy. They bring yeah, back they brought back crawlers. the skull crawlers for like a yeah. uh, scene. I thought they were gonna kind of unleash them a little more, but it was for the big Mecha Godzilla test, which I mean it was still pretty pretty cool. Well, I thought maybe that 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 the Mecha Godzilla would unleash the skull crawlers so that Kong would have to like deal with them. In addition to oh, Mechagodzilla. Man. Again, I feel like this this entire third act is just missed opportunities. Like, sure, they punch each other and it's cool, but, like, what if there had been stakes and just a little bit more? Just a little... We were so close, you know? Oh, so close. We didn't get our third act uh, Mothra Wonder Woman either, which I was a little sad about, because they alluded mm-hmm. to another Mothra being grown. and There's a lot of loose ends in this universe that they probably won't pick back up. I could see them doing another Godzilla movie, but I think this is probably the last we see a Kong. Yeah, maybe. He seems to be doing okay in the center, the the Hollow Earth. If, if you guys were going to do another one, because, I, I mean, there's a billion Godzilla movies to, to look back on, but, like, who's the big villain that even comes up next they did mecha godzilla they did king Ghidorah. mega godzilla um, i mean that, i mean you could do mecha Ghidorah. that's kind of what but, but the, yeah. they kind of burned that set up a little bit if we were going to do another one of these movies all hollow earth all the time like barely any human characters just monsters punching each other like and maybe it's kong trying to revitalize his because clearly there were tons of kongs back in the day in the hollow earth maybe he finds a another Kong and they gotta you know re- restart the Kong am I crazy for thinking like that. that they were gonna do uh, like <laughs> female King Kong female Kong what do you Queen Kong whatever I think we're I think we're probably done do you guys have final thoughts on Godzilla versus Kong I think it was a lot of fun I watched it on my new like 4k TV with my Sony noise canceling headphones and it it almost gave me that twitch of like ah oh, the theaters I remember that in the past, but as long as you're listening or watching it with loud volume and like really going in it for the thunderous punches, I think it's I think it's a blast. What about you, Ricardo? I think you I think you share some of my sentiments here. I like that it's a fun time if you want to see big old monster fight. Absolutely, it definitely delivers what's on the box. I just I have a little bit of frustration with the fact that this movie could have been ten minutes longer and a lot better. And maybe not even 10 minutes longer, because, again, I think that third yeah. act drags a little bit. So, the same runtime, just used more, a little bit more economically. But it's really fun. The action's compelling. It visually references things that I like. I, I mean, I'm just going to rewatch <laughs> Kong Skull Island if, I, if I'm trying to get my Kong itch on. But I did like this one. And I'm excited to share with you guys the story behind the original King Kong vs. Godzilla in our pop culture reference coming up next. 
So for today's pop culture reference, uh, you guys aren't really briefed on this because I want to take you guys on the insane walk that it took for the original King Kong vs. Godzilla to be made. Are you guys ready to, to go on a journey? Lay it on us, man. Let's do it. So you guys obviously know the 1933 original King Kong. Of course, of course. A huge aspect of that film's success, and the reason it's so groundbreaking, is because stop-motion animator Willis O'Brien just did an outstanding, way-ahead-of-his-time job on the stop-motion animation for King Kong and the other monsters in that film. And he was really a fan of Kong and kind of focused on that character. And so he actually wrote a treatment for a sequel that was called King Kong versus Prometheus. And it was going to be King Kong fighting a monster created by Victor Frankenstein's grandson. So picture what? like a 30 foot tall Frankenstein fighting King Kong. Okay, I love that. Why is, why is that not a real thing? So O'Brien, he goes to like a producer friend he knows... And the producer friend gets a screenwriter named George Yates to write, like, a fully fleshed-out version of this script that culminates in the two of them, like, absolutely wrecking San Francisco and tumbling Reichenbach-Fall-style off the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> oh and dying. God. Jeez, okay. They shop it around a ton. O'Brien, this producer who he went to, John Beck, and George Yates, they cannot get any studio in the U.S. to approve it. Like, nobody wants in, which I think is crazy. They didn't and see the potential. John Beck, the producer, goes over to Japan, and he goes to Toho, and he's like, you guys want to make this movie? And they're like, we want to buy the script, and they do, and instead of making King Kong versus Prometheus, they're like, we got Godzilla here, we might as well put these two together. O'Brien, because it was a handshake deal, gets completely cut out of the film's release <laughs> and existence, does not even know what's happening until it's released, and he recognizes the bones of his idea up on the silver screen, and sued John Beck, did not have the money to actually win the battle. He died of a heart attack in 1962, and his widow would later cite that the, quote, frustration of the King Kong versus Frankenstein deal was a contributing factor. Oh my god, this deal killed the man. It is an absolutely insane walk from the original King Kong stop-motion animator Willis O'Brien has this idea for a movie that I would still see, to be honest, that no American studio was brave enough to make and they had to go all the way to Toho who made it their own thing. And now, because of that, 90 years after the original King Kong came out, we got to watch Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max this weekend. A long walk to a beautiful ending. That's It's all worth it, but like you said, I would be so into a modern version of King Kong vs. Prom the Prometheus? Whatever. It, King Kong vs. Prometheus. <laughs> I could just imagine like a gross zombie giant that I'm trying to cast in my head right now for Prometheus. I learned about it like a week ago. It was almost a pop quiz question. I was like, this is too weird to be a pop quiz question. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Me and Ricardo would not have gotten that, I don't think. But I'll never forget it now. I mean, that's that's the craziest piece of information. Now it's time to move on to our pop quiz. Pop, 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 pop quiz. Ricardo's ahead, 7-9. to nine. 
Seamus is maybe on the beginnings of a comeback. He got a Resident <laughs> Evil question right last week, so, you know, he can hope. God willing, so, I'll keep it going. Ricardo, I'm looking at you, man. This is this is the real fight of the century here. Ricardo, since Seamus won last week, it's going to be your turn to pick the category. So your options are San Diego Comic Con or Godzilla versus Kong. Comic Con, I guess. Comic Con. Okay. You guys know the rules, but for those of you playing along at home... The first one of you to give me the correct answer gets the point. If you both say the correct answer at the same time, or neither of you is able to get it, then we move on to our second category as a tiebreaker. Alright, San Diego Comic Con. San Diego Comic Con is moving to Thanksgiving weekend for 2021, the latest the convention has ever been held. What year did SDCC start? Nin- 1997. Weirdly similar guesses from you two guys. Yeah, I, I um, want to know. <laughs> we both landed in like the same area, but how <laughs> off are we? <laughs> the original San Diego Comic-Con was 1970 with Whoa. only 300 Ooh. people in attendance at the main <laughs> convention. Some headlining guests were Jack Kirby and Ray Bradbury, and it was branded as the Golden State Comic-Con. Wow. I thought there was going to be a number after that, but no, it was just straight up 1970. Wow, that is, that is insane to think about, but I mean, that's an awesome lineup. If I'm being honest, those 300 people had the time of their lives. No one probably cared at the time, like Jack Kirby who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god. Alright, let's move on to our tiebreaker, which I'm slightly more confident you guys will get, but we'll see. Oh boy, let's not make fools of ourselves, Ricardo. Category is Godzilla vs. Kong. In Godzilla vs. Kong, what principal cast member has previously starred alongside King Kong? I'll give you guys just a baby hint. I'll tell you which movie this actor was also in with King Kong. It was the 2005 Peter Jackson one. I only remember like three actors from that movie, dude. <laughs> and I know Adrian Brody. Yeah, three actors, Jack Black. <laughs> Jack Black, Adrian Brody, and the, you know, the other guy. I, I don't know, man. I am, I'm at a loss here. It's been so long since I've seen that Peter Jackson one. It's Kyle Chandler, baby. It's Coach Taylor. What? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You are 100% right. He's one of the boat guys, isn't he? He's like a soul. Uh-huh. Oh. Kyle Chandler, what is- what's up, man? He's making, the- he's making that kaiju money. Well, this is another detriment to our process in winning Garrett's hand in marriage. But next week, we're going to come back hard with whatever it is. Oh, God help us. We'll-, we'll actually get an answer. Now it's time for Howling Commandos, where we break down the latest episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're talking episode three. As always, we're marking spoilers right at the top, because these Marvel shows are so chock full of action and plot development right from minute one. So, be warned. What did you guys think of this week's episode? Zemo sucks and I love him. I was going to say, right? (laughs) That's like literally what I was about to blurt out. Like, how much do you love prime evil Zemo? He's so cool. They're doing such a good job at taking a mixture of that character's motivation from Civil War and turning it into an actually, like, compelling, evil adaptation of the character from the comics. Like, I was super impressed with that. They confirm he's a Baron. He's got, like, a jet and stuff. I didn't think they were going to do that. Which felt really out of left field. They were like, oh, yeah, he's always been a Baron with tons of resources and money that he wasn't using in the last movie for some reason. Yeah, I I don't really know much about the character from the comics, so this was all, like, very new and jarring. I didn't hate it, though. Like, his big, fancy, evil jacket and his 
cool mask all just felt very like fancy evil aesthetic and i guess that's really his whole thing i i also very much enjoyed his like criminal swagger when they go to uh (laughs) what's the city again it looks like blade runner hong kong again but it's not it really does it starts with an m um that i don't remember let me let me pull it up uh Point being, to anyone listening, it's you probably know it, you've seen it. It's the city where crime is legal, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, Madripoor. Madripoor, Madripoor, yeah. Madripoor is the name. Where you can just go to Low Town, and it's like an actual Gotham City bar, where you can just like find all the criminal scum in the world. It's the Moss Eisley Cantina. That's what it is. It's scum and villainy yeah, all honestly. in one spot. We get a familiar face while we're there, too. Yes, they, they made Sharon Carter a real character, guys. They finally did it. <laughs> I like their whole deal is all the other Avengers forgot about her just like the audience did. No one talked to her after <laughs> Civil War happened. She's like, you guys are getting pardoned by the government? Herself. What the hell? It's just, just sitting around. And in a way, the, the movies really left her behind too because I understand that when they shot it, originally she was supposed to be part of the airport battle and they cut that whole thing. They like they literally digitally cut her out of the movie. Well, what was she even going to be doing there? What? Everybody was really. She could fight Black Widow or Hawkeye, or well, she and Hawkeye would have been on the same side, I guess. But like, she could have fought a non-superpowered person. She's got moves. You you see that from this. She's oh, she is murdering these dudes. She's going hard in the paint. Yeah, man, that was oh, that was really cool. Yeah, she's like real actiony, man. I love it. It's uh, it's kind of intense, which I was kind of surprised by. I also want to talk about how the scientist guy, they find the the guy who was able to recreate the serum, the super soldier serum, and how skeevy, like, that actor was really good, and I'd never seen him in anything before. Yeah, definitely. We get a little backstory that he was just like, his research was abandoned when he got snapped, and... You know, we get more more sprinkles of like uh, the power broker getting put in there. Of just like, yeah, they're they're making this like I really didn't know too much about the power broker before this show, but they are really making it out like he's going to be way bigger than we think. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where they go with power broker, who they're who they really seem to be setting up as the main villain of the series. But I mean, obviously we've got Zemo right there, so I'm very curious to see how those two kind of collide, and they seem to have a little bit of a past too. Yeah, it's interesting. I really didn't think because I think Ricardo last week you were like, "Oh, here we go, Hannibal Lecter, Zemo time," and then he's just like part of the gang now. They broke him out of German <laughs> prison, and he's like just with them. They're kind of cool with him committing some wholesale murder, but they're also like using him for their own means. It's really adding another very wild card dynamic to their their buddy cop stuff going on. Of course, the Wakandans are not going to be pleased about that. And we see at the end of this episode, they have sent somebody to come follow up. Or, I mean, whether they've sent them or she's come of her own volition. But one of the, the like, royal guard... What, is, what Do you guys remember what Okoye's, like, unit is called? Oh god, I don't remember. I, I do. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, though. The Dormalaji? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very interested to see if that's like, what this character's deal is. I can't even find her on IMDb. So, is she gonna be, like, a free agent? Did Wakanda send her? Who knows? For all we know, this is gonna be uh, building into that new Ryan Coogler Wakanda series we've got coming. Oh, yeah. They could really... They could start sprinkling that in early right here. I don't think it's too hard to see why Wakanda would want Zemo, considering what he did to to Chaka. assassinated the king and... You know, maybe there's going to be more stuff. They've been teasing out a lot of the White Wolf stuff with uh, Bucky. If that means a lot more in, like, his Wakanda past, 
maybe we'll see him and the Wakandan government like butting heads about working with Zemo maybe I don't know there's a lot to there's a lot to go with here but this was a lot of setup in this episode you know with young agent Carter whose first name I don't remember and Sharon Sharon's got she's she's giving me you evil think so? vibes she's the I power think broker she's somebody that could I think she could betray them if it's in her, the interest of her own survival because I really like that what they've done with this character like you said Ricardo is turn her into somebody who has been abandoned by the Avengers, her country, these movies. Um, <laughs> and they've made her somebody who went from like being altruistic and really believing in symbols and what her, what her aunt believed in to this kind of pessimistic, out-for-herself character who I think, yeah, she could definitely betray the gang for the right price. I don't necessarily know if she will or not, but I think they've established that in her character. I mean, and that really goes along with, I'm really enjoying that this is a really gray area. This is the most gray area I think we've seen from most of the Marvel stuff, this entire show. Especially because of the bad guys, and they really explicitly mention it in this episode when Wyatt Russell and his friend whose name I am once again forgetting. Battlestar. Um, Battlestar's like, I mean, they're giving vaccines and food to people who don't have them so maybe they're not like the worst people in the world and we're seeing a little bit more of the bully side of of john walker here yeah he, he's turned a little dark you know i think as you were just talking before i think maybe he might reach out to uh agent carter over there offer her some amnesty for information on zemo and and the gang, maybe that'll integrate a little more of, he's, like... He's for sure getting sweet-talked by Power Broker. He's drinking that cereal. Oh, yeah. yeah that's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Yo, yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's a good... That's good. Wait, the ultimate endgame in this is that John Walker has to meet Star-Lord, and we have to have, like, a weird moment where we have both a Kurt Russell's oh, sons. Oh, yeah. You know, honestly, the the crux of this third episode, it it felt like a lot of setup, but even with the smallest amount of screen time yet, John Walker has just been a, a bastard. Just like almost more <laughs> so than the first two episodes for me. Like I've been oh, very yeah. I've been giving him such a chance. But that do you know who I am thing really, really got me. And you know, I'm ready to see this man get just demolished and get that shield taken away from him. I don't know if he'll die in this series or just, like, turn into a bigger threat down the line. I I hope Wyatt Russell sticks around in the MCU to some capacity, but I, I'm excited for next week. I, everything they're setting up more and more of, I'm into. My friend Ben, I think, put it really nicely. I was texting him the other day about it, and he's like, I feel like John Walker is the kind of guy that would have bullied Cap at boot camp. Maybe. Oh, yeah, most definitely. When he was still scrawny, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite episode so far and um I'm really I'm really digging it. So I'm excited to see what what happens next. No superhero stuff in the show at all. No Falcon wings, no nothing. Just Oh yeah, just straight up espionage. Yep. Yeah, I guess I didn't even notice that either and I'm 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 really excited for more fancy Baron Zemo. I'm in. Welcome to Save the Rec Center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, what do you got? I think I, I might have rec-centered the first season of this show earlier, but the second season of Solar Opposites came out on <laughs> Hulu this week, and there's nothing funnier to me right now. That It's just like Rick and Morty plus chaos minus the kind of pretentious vibe that it's grown into, and it's it's just a blast. You know, it's all the same fun alien shenanigans as the first season. They still have 
like the miniature wall arc. They've like built a new murder mystery in there now, which I think is great. Uh, I haven't finished it yet, but I mean, it is just hilarious and disgusting. And I don't know, maybe it is just the fact that it is the humor of like a Rick and Morty type show without all the accoutrement of like more of a toxic fan base. So I, I highly recommend the second season from what I've seen so far. And, uh, you know, it's all it's all on Hulu right now, so you can you can binge it. All right, boys, who's up next? I've got a, a Vigi game I've been playing lately. As I've said before on this podcast, my room is basically a time portal to 2013. So I've been <laughs> playing uh, some old PS3 games, and I'm currently playing Batman Arkham Origins, the bastard stepchild to the Arkham franchise. Wow, the weird removed semi canonical is it canonical with those arkham games it or? is it's sh- well it, it should be it's got the <laughs> arkham name to it but whenever they do the re-releases it's never included they never talk about it wow that is the strangest choice but i mean if you're enjoying it i i guess yeah, that's all there is to what? it i think at the time when it came out it wasn't like the next chapter in that ongoing story it wasn't a revolutionary or anything but as a standalone Batman game, as like going through the early days of his career, it still holds up. It's got some cool like detective elements where you get to recreate crime scenes and then kind of fast forward and rewind them to look for clues. I think the story's pretty interesting. It's all set in one night, like I think these games usually are. Uh, and it's Christmas Eve in Batman. He's on the run because Black Mask has hired a bunch of assassins to come kill him for money. That's, you know, I really never heard much about that game, but that sounds like a lot of fun. I like that they're doing more with the detective stuff because I I love the, like, detective mode clue searching in the other games. So I think that's, I think that's cool. I think it holds up. You got undo when it came out. If they ever remaster it, maybe I'll actually check it out. Garrett, to close us out, what do you got for your rec center? I also have a video game, uh, and I've been talking about playing, I think I've been mentioning for like a couple months that this is the next video game I'm going to play, and then of course, you know, other video games draw my attention, but I am a few hours into God of War PS4, and oh baby, it is all of the hype and more. I adore it. The gameplay is super satisfying. It has like RPG elements that don't annoy me because the story is like kind of like linear enough that I don't feel like I'm getting distracted by a bunch of by a bunch of side quests and upgrades and everything and I mean it's got a good heart at its core the puzzle mechanics are really fun and I also had never realized how much uh, of an influence it very transparently was on Jedi Fallen Order. How much the, like, loot boxes and puzzle mechanics are also super similar to God of War. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this I, one's a soft reboot, right? Like, do you have to play the other ones to get what's going on? Actually, yeah. I've not played any of the other God of Wars, and I am keeping up 100% with this. Because I think the, the deal is, right, that most of the... I mean, Kratos is the Greek God of War, and so... They're like the first three or four games, however many there are before this, are all about the Greek gods, and now they kind of like switch to he's in the realm of the Norse gods. So, like, I think they're probably still like canonically there, but I think the gameplay and the storyline have been so changed that you don't need to play the other ones. Yeah, I, uh, 
I guess I would personally recommend going through some of like the originals before you play the new one, but it really isn't the most necessary. You just kind of have to know that, you know, your man has a very big distrust for gods for good reasons. And I mean, I can't imagine because I, I played it on the PS4. I can't imagine how good the upgrade is on the PS5. I've heard it's like, like so good. Running at 60 frames looks so good. The photo models look so good. The load times do not exist. Oh, <laughs> God. That's... It's the best a game has run on my PlayStation that wasn't, like, built to be a PS5 game. So, like, it, you know, I was playing Spider-Man Remastered and Miles Morales and Astro and stuff, and those were, like, genuinely built from the inside out to be PS5 games. So, of course, their load times don't exist, and, of course, they, they handle everything really well. But this, for just being, you know... PS Plus Collection PS4 game just with a PS5 update, it's outstanding. It works so well. Well, yeah, I, I honestly, I second that Rec Center, even just for the game alone, not even the PS5 upgrade, but th- those are both really good uh, video game suggestions, guys. I, I fully approve of them both. All right, but I think that uh, wraps us up for this week's episode of Pop Culture Reference. If you want to reach the show you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast find us at that same handle on instagram like us on facebook and email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com all that info is in the bio as well next week we're going to be talking our first album ever for this show the new taylor swift taylor's version of the fearless album from a long time ago we're actually going to be having my sister on claire strother who will school us a little bit on our Taylor Swift knowledge and kind of usher us into this new album that we're that we're going to be talking about. Need an expert on this. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I agree. It's going to be very interesting. I'm very excited. But yeah, until then, uh, we'll see you next week. Adios, amigos. Adios, amigos.